What's up, Metal Maniacs? You've got Tom. You've got George. You've got John. And you've got another podcast coming. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, my dudes. Mm. John, it is a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, finally. Yeah, good to be here. Mm. I was in doubt whether or not to use Jonathan or John. I use John when I travel. It's short, it's easy. And with you guys abbreviating your names... I mean, George is basically just a syllable anyway, but you abbreviate yours. So I guess you can't really you know, make George any shorter. Yeah. You can't, right? G. Go, yeah, I don't know. You could go G. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but, you know, uh, we have a saying in Swedish that you, you, you take the customs uh, or you rather you adapt to the customs where you go. So I'm, I'm your guest, uh, but I adapt into your customs by abbreviating my name today. This is a multicultural podcast. We've had yeah. guests from True. Sweden and Ireland, Scotland, and all points over the United States. So we welcome all cultures and customs on this podcast. Cool. Very well said. Thank you. Yeah. And listeners, we have a very special episode for you this week. Not that One kind of that, very special episode. Well, it's special to us. Because yeah. if you've been paying attention to this pod at all, you'll know that I have been contractually obligated to talk about dissident aggressor. Yeah. And now we are finally covering dissident aggressor on this week's episode. And I could not be more excited. on what's my first choice uh, so you know i'm glad you gave it away i guess you know uh, because it's um it's a hot it's a hot track and uh, you know i don't mind when you bring it up constantly because it's a it's a standout track it's worth bringing thank up. you yeah, and i'm and it, on a mission man i'm still on a mission to get sin after sin more visibility yeah yeah a noble goal and thank you what better track to highlight as we celebrate the 45th anniversary of sin after sin right about now mm -hmm. and this is an album that is old but it doesn't sound a whole lot less fresh than it was back then it's like holy crap sin after sin just is lightning in a bottle and it's not the most popular priest album and we just don't know why right right I mean, I, I do have like a little bit of a story on that one. Maybe I should introduce myself as well. Uh, I mean, you've already had Eric on. So, you you know, the listener knows Made in A to Z by now. And we are on the same network. Like, well, um, the, the reintroduce the show alongside yourself, my man. Yeah. But yeah, here I am coming in from Stockholm uh, in the middle of the night. Nocturnal podcasting. Always a good call, I think. And uh, yeah, you've had Eric on, so you know of our pod probably. I don't have to go into detail on that. We do a, a, a very extensive Iron Maiden pod. And, uh, you know, we're about halfway through the first, sort of the first season, I guess you could call it, which is like three years in total. But I'm also, I also like to be active in, um, in the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Uh, I've got, you know, friends there from the start. I we appreciate the Deep Dive Network shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, we've we done appreciate... a few crossovers with the deep dive now, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, you've been you've been working at it. We've done two on our show so far. More to come, of course. Which is exciting. I mean, yeah, George has done yeah. that. 
I actually, John, wanted I want to do something about black metal with you one day. We have to. We have to. Yeah, yeah I think so. Almost, you know, it's as big as Maiden for me, basically. Absolutely. We'll get into a little bit of that, you know, the dichotomy in between the traditional metal and the extreme metal, because it's a sort of a central factor for me, I guess, in, in the whole well, exploration of yeah. things. For my money, I think Dissident Aggressor is Priest's first metal song. Sure, sure. At least definitely a metal song off of this album. It's got this heaviness to it that the band embraces in further albums. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll go into a bit of background then, because I mean, I've, I've been a Maiden fan on a podcast for 100 hours, but a Priest fan is new. So this is fresh stuff, right? Uh, I don't think I've told anyone the my priest kind of priest backstory so well, far. Anyway. We, are certainly, hear it. we are certainly yeah. flattered that you're sharing it with us for the first time. Oh yeah. Saving it and now sharing it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, you know, Maiden came in early, 12 years old. You can hear all about that in my show anyway. And so I'm not going to go into detail on that, but uh, you know, I think both of you could probably recognize uh, a younger age where you have one or two or three bands that you listen to. And that's all, you know, you completely focus on that. And that was made in for about one and a half years. The, the discography was then 12 studio albums and I was 13. So, you know, it takes a while to acquire these albums, basically. There's a but, lot to chew on. You've got yeah. a lot of really complex, meaty songs. And like over the course of what, 20 plus years, even at that point, that's Even at that point, it take about, a while to dive through more so than a about, band with like three albums. Yeah, about 20 years then. So, I mean, it's like a halfway point from the start of the band and then until now. But uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. What happened later was that I think one and a half years in, I was finally ready to buy new stuff. Of course, it was going to be metal. You know, I have a background in psychedelic uh, rock, uh, Beatles stuff as well. But uh, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't really what I was going for then. Uh, metal was right, the, you know, the new land of milk and honey. Uh, it was the place I wanted to be. So where do you go from from Maiden? You know, where do you, where do you want to go there? Of course, I listened to Metallic and Black Sabbath as well. Uh, I always have. So uh, that wasn't really part of the decision. The, deci the decision was more like, should I go into other heavy metal similar to Maiden? Or should I look at this? I was getting into Slayer at the time heavily. So I was thinking, should I look into this more extreme metal? And see what happens over there and um, to be honest i never decided i i went for both i think but uh at that age 14 we went to denmark to copenhagen and we went to a record shop because then late 90s it was still sort of like you're abroad you want to check out their local record shop see what they have and that's all coming back now anyway but uh, i went down there and i had the options of uh, kill switch engage I thought they sounded okay, but it was something that wasn't like, ah, not really jiving with me. Uh, I went for Create or uh, Violent Revolution in that show. Oh, so good. And I went for a double CD Best of Priest as well. And I went for uh, Death uh, Live in LA. So all those at the same time. And that's like three different paths you can take. You know, you have the thrash route, the German thrash with Create, or you have a, the American, I guess, death metal. But, you know, death are doing more than just death metal as you guys probably yeah. know. Uh, sure. And then and then I had Priest, you know, sticking with the traditional, uh, sticking with the, I guess, uh, canon of, of heavy metal. Yeah, so I, three I remember, and I remember the best part back. is you don't have to pick just one. 
No, yeah, I, uh, in the end, I could go for all three. But I remember coming back to the house. It was we, we borrowed a house from my cousin down in the south of, of Sweden. So we just went to Denmark over day and then back to Sweden. And I remember putting on the the best of priest, the double CD. And I was really like, fuck, this is not going to work, is it? It's like, it's not going to be made. Because you have to know when you're 13, 14, you're not like super... Uh, I don't know. You're you're not reassured at that time, like the, <laughs> of how much good music there is. Like it's really hard to imagine something will touch you as much as I don't know. Maybe yeah, how be the name or your taste in music is fairly limited at 15 years old. It's not really versatile yet. Yeah, even Great. 14, and definitely not experienced. You know, so I'm just you know just trying the first. But uh, yeah, put it on. Helion starts it, and then I instantly feel ah oh, shit. This might actually work. This could work. Uh, like th- th- this is good, and this is not that similar to Maiden. They have a very different approach, I think, in terms of how how they attack it. You know, there's more attack, and it's yeah, there's more angular, but it's also just different, I guess. You know, they have some ties with Sabbath, also with the Birmingham thing. I think that's why Rob was such a good replacement in Sabbath. He could really do that, and that surprised hmm. me because you know you wouldn't think of Rob as a doom type singer, you know, singing songs like Into the Void. But he did that really well. And I don't know if it's a Brahmi thing or, you know, something about the environment around them, maybe. But yeah, the the double CD worked for me. It wasn't Maiden, but it was pretty good. So um, I fast forward, I come back to Stockholm, start high school. I'm 15 now, so a year later. And I'm getting into the section, I'm getting into Morbid Angel, uh, getting further into death, and that's taking over. And I buy Sin After Sin. You know today's album, in a, like as, as a used CD, I buy it because the the cover is. We can talk about that. What do you think about the cover? It's really dope, I think. Oh hell yeah, it is the skull and, and the, that's a real location. It's a painting based on a photo of a mausoleum at the Putney Vale Cemetery in London. There we go. Cool. It looks Roman. I think it's a kind of Roman architecture. Yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting that they were part of it because we weren't. You know, up here, it never, it never got here, but it did get to the islands, okay. the Roman Empire, that is. But, uh, you know, I go put it on and I don't get it at all uh, at 15 because you have to imagine again, I'm just figuring out metal and I'm listening to this down tune to be Morbid Angels, uh, sick riffs with, you know, tons of distortion. I'm listening to Unit Fate in the section with that kind of icy precision and all that. And I'm listening to Helion as well in Electric Eye, which has more of that icy metal precision. So I put on Sin After Sin, and I'm incredibly disappointed uh, when I bought it. I'm actually embarrassed, which is, you know, <laughs> it's really foreign to me now, but I remember this clearly. Like, this doesn't, you know, this is not metal. This is not what, I, you know, the path I'm on. So I go and sell that CD. Very weird choice. And then not to make this story too epic, we fast forward all the way up until a couple of years ago, 
And I once again see that sleeve illustration. And now it's on vinyl. I'm like, ah, if anything, I, I want this sleeve illustration on the vinyl. So I buy it, I put it on, and um basically another person at that point, it seems, because it sounds so cool, sounds so good. And it sounds really metal too. So I think, you know, with a more refined ear, it was a very different experience that um, sort of started my real priest craze, which has been uh, only for three years now, I think about two, three years that I've been really into this band. And Sin After Sin is now my favorite album. So that's sort of, you know, when, when, you know, when you don't trust it, when you actually go and sell it and then you mm. rediscover it, then you know it's strong. You've already neglected it. You know, you've already said no, but it comes back to you. Well, you know, there was probably, probably a lot of personal development and appreciation. Musical, yeah. Yes, musical development and appreciation for other types of music that, because I can, you know, I probably wouldn't have liked this album at that age either. So, especially after hearing something like Painkiller, yeah, of course, I'd heard Painkiller, yeah. Like if you that was metal, back, right? That's very metal. If fifteen-year-old me went back and listened to Diamonds and Rust, I'd be like, "Damn, when was Priest? I didn't know Priest was a disco band." Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me at fifteen. That's what happened. You know, it didn't mm-hmm. sound metal, and I didn't see beyond the very surface of what I was listening yeah. to, which feels weird to admit now. It's so far away from how I digest music these days. But, you know, it's also nice to be able to rediscover stuff. And uh, sin after sin, more so, I mean, uh, Screaming for Vengeance. It was good already then, when I was a kid. It worked for me. I guess it's about the sound or about the songwriting or something. But now when I put on uh, this album, today's album, and Sinner comes on, like, how the fuck did I miss this? How could I not register this? This is this is very, very cool. You know, if probably a Sinner would be my second choice for this podcast if it wasn't this an aggressor because it's such a cool center is phenomenal yeah that is such a hell of an opening track oh and i didn't get that back then i didn't get it back then it's really strange but uh, it makes the pre-story interesting because it's a story of sort of defeat and then rising up again and uh, you know that's something i feel I feel that in priest a little bit that's very priest they are they are sort of like uh, getting knocked down and rising up again kind of band Sure. More so, more so than Maiden. I mean, Maiden had a dark period in the nineties. Blah blah blah. But uh, Priest, they had metal had stru- a dark period in the nineties. Yeah, well, not not black metal though. That was good in the nineties. Oh yeah, metal had its heyday in the nineties. That's true. Yeah, extreme extreme metal. Yes, but yeah, yeah. And, and new new metal. I guess to to tie Ugh. tie the loose end together on that story backstory, I did keep listening to death metal. I did keep listening to black metal, and I did keep listening to heavy metal and classic rock. You know, so you don't have to choose really, but uh, yeah, took its time to discover uh, an album that is probably one of my favorite albums of all time, mm-hmm. Sin After Sin. Uh, yeah, I would I mean, rank it out. I would rank it above a fair few. Yeah, yeah. On That's Priest. a hell of a story, Jonathan. Yeah, I did see them though when I was seventeen. I think. Yeah. Oh, that was. Yeah. So what? What year were you seventeen? Two thousand and four, Sweden Rock. Yeah. Okay, that, that, Alfred the, reunion. Um, yep, yep, yep. I think they opened with uh, Helion Electric Eye as well uh, in a cage, if I recall. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, really cool. And the same bill we had um, Heaven and Hell as well. Uh, you know, Ooh. Yeah, oh, Dio, Black man. yeah, man. Oh, uh, you're lucky then, you to know. have seen Dio. 
We both yeah. are. Yeah, three times. As one of my one of my regrets is not seeing Dio live. Yeah, but I mean, uh, other highlights include the the section, the the reunion gig. That, oh, that was as big for I, me as Dio, you know. And still, I I just like cannot even describe the depths of my envy that you were at that show. Because that is just one of my favorite live albums of all time and was so important to my own spiritual development. Yeah. So that's cool, Tom. I'll that, drink to that. I'll drink. Fuck yeah, I'll drink to that too. And yeah. Jonathan, it, if drink we ever to that do. Too. Drinks another drink too. Yeah, all right. We are going to have to have a lengthy conversation about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. But it's definitely like part of this too. And I think it's part of Priest too. I think Priest mm -hmm. have more connection with the extreme metal than, for example, Iron Maiden. You will see Rob wearing, I'm not sure if he's wearing it because it's cool. That's also okay by me. But, you know, Bathory shirts, uh, Dark Throne shirts, uh, you see him, you know, kind of sporting that. Uh, you don't see yeah. Bruce doing that, you know. Uh, and it, even the sound of Priest has more of a, leaning towards i think more black metal maybe not death metal but definitely black metal with the screechy voice and uh, up tempos mm -hmm. and in recent years rob has actually been adding a couple death growls now and then yep, to the yep. end of songs like painkiller yep. and it works he can do it yeah it sounds great it doesn't it doesn't work it's better than than that you know i uh, like work uh, that would imply that it's serviceable but it's, it's more than serviceable <laughs> it's actually a cool sounding growl i think you know oh, you're right bursting growl. i've recorded a... many growlers and it sounds great you know it also a trick it sounds saves like, energy it, it, like it really like adds an extra bit of flourish to the songs you know the the growling is not the entire song but when he throws it in it kind of it's like when he does it for metal gods it's right at the end and he goes engulfed in molten breath and yep. it's like oh wow okay what's up daddy didn't know you could do that it's very smart also because he conserves energy doing this uh, he has a yeah. good technique for the growl so it's actually easier to growl than sing you can ask yeah. uh, several guys that do both like uh Mikael in, in opeth here in stockholm he will say that the growling part is actually easier he just lost interest in it, you know. Also, he lost his growl, but that's also an entire different conversation. But, you know, what we can focus on now is that somehow Rob has gained growl this late. Mm -hmm. And it's a perfect technique, too. I can totally hear that it's healthy as well. He's not uh, yeah. putting any extra like strain. He, he, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows the proper way to execute it. Hearing Rob with a good growl technique at the age he's at, it just gives me more hope that priest is going to be an even more long-running band than we even predicted because if he is adapting with his aging voice and continuing to evolving new techniques to replace the highs that he can't do anymore mm -hmm. and then maybe priest ends up being more of a heavy doomy kind of sound in their future records i would be here for that yeah, me mm. too. And uh, I was going to raise that actually, that topic, because I, I think you've talked about it before, the sort of aging vocalist and uh, how to deal with that. A lot of people get annoyed by tricks. Uh, I don't. I, I find tricks very, it's a good way to go about it. You know, you have to make, you have to devise some techniques and some tricks as you get older. We can't just, you know, go by, uh, you know, force of will at that point. 
Sure. So I really we enjoy talking hearing. to a vocalist, Rob, in an yeah, Alfred yeah, cover band. Yeah, yeah, and episode. he brought up the same kind of thing that there are a lot of tricks in Halford's arsenal. Right. With the vaudevillian thing he was talking about, for example. Uh, it's yeah. the same thing with growl, and it's the same thing with singing. Uh, Bruce makes a lot of cheats as well. And I, I, I really enjoy hearing that, as you know, because I worked a lot in live sound. It's how I made uh, the majority of the money I made in music has been from doing live sound. And when you hear someone that has those little tricks and those little cheats, you know you're in safe hands. Because even the best vocalist that is sort of a, I don't know, lost cause or a bit too artistic for his own good, uh, you know, i.e. no technique, uh, that could be a problem. Even if it sounds great on soundcheck, you know that there's no insurance here. But when you hear someone that can pull off tricks and mask uh, limitations, you're fine. You know, those guys can be have a flu. I mean, Rob could have the flu. He could do it because he's good at masking. And that's something I really admire. Uh, I don't think gets enough credit, actually, when, when, when vocalists come up with these tricks and the, you know, these techniques to cover up for um, physical limitations. It's really cool. Very musical. And on Dissident Aggressor, the track, I think Rob is, I think Sin After Sin is the very peak of his vocal performance. Like of any album he's done, I think that especially the opening scream on Dissident Aggressor is mm -hmm. one of the most yeah. impressive the that, that I've ever heard. You know, it, that reminds me of first. Yeah, there's an I heard, effect on that too. Yeah, there's multi-layering for sure, but mm -hmm. it reminds yeah. me of the first time I heard uh, Dimebag Daryl when he's soloing in Pantera. Yeah. And it was like, is that a guitar? What the fuck is going yeah. on? And it was uh, Cemetery Gates. When he's going yeah. for the squeals, like and that's the same thing I feel still when I hear the opening scream and this an aggressor, like, oh, what now? What's going on? It sounds it's, beyond uh, human. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say otherworldly, you know. It's yeah. a, and then Simon Phillips comes in with one of the most incredible yeah. drum fills. My only note that, for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. finish the point. Sure. It just like the that killer riff. Yeah, just no. yeah, really. Like I don't know. I would love to know where that song came from and what the inspiration was. And mm -hmm. like either Glenn or Ken had to have come up to one of the other and said, "Dude, you got to hear what I wrote. This sounds so good." Yeah, yeah, it's really heavy for for the time. You know, of course, you've had uh, Sabbath and stuff like that, but uh, it's still a different type of heavy. And yes. the fact that Slay Slayer, you've already addressed this in your show, but uh, Slayer plays it pretty much verbatim.
the only difference is that the chorus they do squeals with the guitars because Tom yeah because in a million Tom, years Tom Araya doesn't really sing so much no no he has no range he has no range yeah. whatsoever but he's got a really nice voice so you know he does then you, then no you can doubt. sing one note. I'm, I'm truly shocked that Tom Araya was able to keep his career going as long as he did be, for I, I considering Tom. his technique or lack thereof yeah but i mean the only thing that actually backfired was the head banging so he had to get that uh oh yeah what, what do you call that in english right. yeah when you get go all stiff you know we call it stial operated in swedish that means like mm. uh, you know it's like a pinched nerve maybe yeah basically you basically you're you're moving like this you can't really like move your head too much uh it yeah. has to move with the body but uh, i'd be lying if i said i knew exactly what it was called nah yeah but uh tom araya he, he deserves a shout out in a in a priest podcast first time i saw slayer oh, uh, was uh, before maiden uh, when i was uh, actually then i was 12 12 and a half or 13 and slayer was wow. hard to digest then i have to admit like i wasn't that yeah. yet but uh only a year later i saw them and uh big uh, ups to tom because he made me feel very invited as a 14 15 year old kid and his calm so demeanor awesome. between songs i love that because you know i i'm not too into the whole like can't fucking hear you I, i'd rather prefer, <laughs> pre- i prefer a more understated uh, approach because he gets sure. as much uh, very sweet connection yeah it is very swedish of me you're right <laughs> but he gets a good, <laughs> he gets a good connection going tom that is without you know over uh, emphasizing on on the stage demeanor if you will but mm. uh, some guys do that great uh, i'll have to add you know to each his own in that way you know you have to find your style but for me definitely a way uh, to go further into metal was the fact that tom raya was so nice he was just very nice on stage you know and calm yeah i've never heard anyone say anything bad about him as a person like that they had oh. an unpleasant interaction with him yeah and yeah, they covered uh, this in aggressor, uh, and that was probably part of why I bought Sin After Sin that first time, and probably mm. part of why I was disappointed because it didn't sound as metal as that did, you know. But uh, when I listen to Distant Aggressor now, it's uh, among the most metal things I've ever heard. Like, there's nothing about it that is not metal. I, fra- I face the impregnable wall. <laughs> That's very metal. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like uh, if we get into the lyrics, it sounds sort of like a defiant uh, vigilante anti-hero this is something like that so i did a little research for this episode a while ago and i can tell you that the song itself was inspired by a time when priest was in germany and rob halford got to visit the berlin wall oh this is a quote from a 2014 song facts interview It's about the Berlin Wall in 1970 or something or other. I couldn't sleep, so I went out for a walk. I went to the Berlin Wall, and I walked up on top of a boxy-looking post thing, a watchtower thing. It was November, it was freezing cold, and I was looking over from West Berlin, which is all brightly lit up. Pubs Mm -hmm. were up and everything, and the the east side was just dead. It was pitch black, no lights on. And there were these Russian guys looking back at me in binoculars. That was the seed for what the song talks about. I know what I am. I'm Berlin. Oh, it's it's, I'm Berlin. I always thought it was I believe. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I know what I I am. I I believe. Yeah, it's very specific. The song is very specifically talking about. Yeah. 
or I, it's I guess. way more concrete. Yeah. Yeah. More sure. literal. A lot more, yeah. a lot more specific than what you're used to with most priest songs. It's actually a rather politically driven song when mm-hmm. you have that context. I've yeah. seen someone describe the lyrics in Dissident Aggressor as an abstract mishmash. To, nah, to whoever wrote that, I have to say, you didn't get it. Missed the mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I there, the mark. There's, there's some stuff to chew on here. I mean, even in my faulty interpretation, it wasn't that weird. I just thought it was more of a story of a, you know, a rebel or a renegade of sorts facing yeah. the impregnable yeah. wall, you know, uh, a feeling more of an f- emotional song. I, I thought it was, you know, not as uh, factual, I guess. I thought it was more about that, you know, like facing a, a huge, uh, I mean, everything you want to do, especially if you want to do things your way, you're going to run into a fair bit of uh, people trying to stop you and mm. organizations and whatnot. And I thought it was that sort of song. I always think about mm. priests that way because probably because of the gay thing as well, that, you know, that was way different in the seventies, you know, Sweden is quite forward in that now, but it was illegal not too long ago, you know, it was absolutely illegal. Uh, and that was way into Rob's life. So I always look at, uh, at his lyrics as lyrics of uh, outsider and um, renegade and rebel that is trying to, He's not doing it to hurt anyone. He just wants to break free in the words of Yeah, uh, it's more of, of a self ex- it's more of like a self-expression than a diabolical antagonism if that makes yeah. sense. But it's very interesting to uh, I'm glad you brought this up Tom uh, the more factual nature of these lyrics because uh, Berlin is not far from here. Been there many times. Uh, of course I was never there in when it was divided because uh, I was 4 when the wall fell or three i think yeah. but uh, the wall is still there uh, and now berlin is just a, a, a very cool place to visit you know you'll have drummers busking i've never seen that in sweden a drummer busking alone you know just playing crazy jazz stuff and of course you got to give that mo- uh, guy a bit of money you know uh, and yeah uh, of course well we, uh, you've got like street performers the same way we have them in the in the states yeah i guess there's level. similar stuff going on in uh in germany yeah, I mean, you get good bands here too on the street sometimes, but then it's very proper. Yeah, sure. you know? It's very proper, very sober. In, in German, you get a way more like sort of a. Uh, it's more Sounds weirdo. Like a great place to party. Yeah, more weirdo Berlin, but then again, Germans are very normal, so it's a fun clash, I think. But uh, of course, the whole thing with the East and West is very interesting. Uh, from like mainstream metal bands, one I'm into is Rammstein, actually, and they are yeah. raised in they are raised in East Berlin. And, uh, you know, the stories, you couldn't even get a guitar. It was fucked. <laughs> it was basically yeah. fucked. And then I, to I have Rob see about, this. You know. I think I've talked about this on the show before is that, you know, their one, their keyboard player, Lawrence, or one of the other guitar players that described him as being born as a citizen of the GDR and he'll die a citizen of the GDR. Like, mm-hmm. He's like, he talks about how, you know, back in the day, things were a lot simpler. You go to a bar, you ask for beer, you get a beer. And now instead I get all of these choices that I don't want. And it's like just too much. Yeah. Choices are hard, man. They are like the tyranny of choice is a real thing, man. Having access to so many different options, you just wind up choosing nothing. Yeah. yeah, you ever fire yeah. up Netflix and then scroll through to see what they got for half I canceled, hour? And I then canceled you it. did that. You don't even I have to move it in the end. 
Yeah, no, I had to cancel Netflix. It was too much, you know. And I mean, uh, I'm just a tad bit older than you guys. Not much. I'm 35. Not by much, yeah. But uh, last half decade, I really worked on putting less emphasis on making the right choice and more emphasis on following through with whatever choice you happen to make. And mm. I, I believe that makes it easier to live, uh, actually, because it's, no. you know, I think we overemphasize on the ideas and choices and we underemphasize on how you actually implement them and and uh, see mm. it through afterwards because you can make a mm. poor decision, but if you see it through well, it doesn't matter so much. I think we get, I for sure, anyway, this is me I'm talking about, got stuck very much on decisions way, way back then, you know, death metal or uh, heavy metal or, you know, whatever. In, instead of like, just go with what you've ever, you know, go with what you've found yourself in. I guess that's a great insight though. And you know what, if that's what works for you, then dude, like more power to you as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, uh, works for now. Anyway, you always have to reevaluate, you know, you sure. come up with new every ways. few years, you got to reprioritize. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like priest three years ago, got really heavy into them. Then uh, my second favorite would be staying class. I think that's an, it's an incredible album as well. Incredible. The title track is among the best songs I've ever heard. Super. This is very, very good. I would say of the classics, the one I sort of see as overrated is uh, Sad Wings a little bit. I don't get into that as heavily as I do uh, Sin After Sin and um, Staying Class. And I even prefer listening to uh, Killing Machine over Sad Wings and uh, Turbo. I like Turbo. I'm, I'm a Turbo guy, you know, I guess. Because I think you mentioned before, either you hate it or you love it. And uh, then I guess I love True. it, you know. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't get as metal as this in an aggressor. Uh, does it ever? Painkiller yeah. does. Painkiller is also as metal. But uh, uh, that was, I was just going to say that. It's very riff-driven. You know? Tom, you said that for your money, Distant Aggressor is the first metal song that Priest did. Yeah. Uh, I would say maybe I would go back to like Tyrant or Deceiver. Mm. But I will Tyrant say... Tyrant is a good song. Yeah. I will Best say, I think that Dissident Aggressor might be the first ever thrash metal song. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this goes into defi- defining what, what metal is, really, because, of course, Black Sabbath's first uh, self-titled song is very metal, yeah. but it's not the only way to be metal. And I yeah. think uh, it was George, is, George is onto metal. something. I think George is onto something, that uh, Dissident mm. Aggressor is, even the title sounds like a fresh title yeah sure does 100 well, the reason the reason i say it's their first metal song is that while i agree that tyrant and deceiver are both definitely really heavy songs i would say they maybe have some elements of heavy metal to them 
without necessarily being metal, but Dissident Aggressor to me feels like a metal song through and through from the very beginning to the very end. The Ripper is metal too, I think. Yeah. What was that? I would say The Ripper is also very metal, but it's a different sound. It's not as uh, muscular. You know, it's not very muscular. It's more of a kind of trickster vibe. Sure. You know, but it's metal too. It's metal too. This in aggressor is just a very in your face like metal song. Yeah. yeah, it's I like that. It's muscular. It is yeah. beefy. Beefy. Yeah. It's a beefy song. Um, and when they play listen it to live it, today, uh, now you're mentioning live today. I want to hear that too. So mm. just you know, just to refresh about the riffs. Oh yeah, sure. we'll do a playthrough and get our commentary in. But Tom, I want to hear what you were saying. Yeah, me too. Um, what was I saying? Do you guys remember? <laughs> You said yeah, something about when they play it live today. Oh, when they play it live yes. today, yeah. When they play it live today, it sounds like a modern heavy metal song. It's very fresh. It doesn't feel dated. It's like, oh, is this off one of their more recent albums? And then you're like, no. Mm-hmm. It's off of this album that no one listens to. Right. I mean, uh, not no one, but and, too few. Well, not enough. Yeah, I agree. Gentlemen. Without further ado, let's kick this playthrough off. Sure. in the beginning too i like them psychedelic stuff and listen to simon phillips yeah it was the only note i had for today was i have to talk about simon phillips i don't think yeah i mean he's been praised low-key by you guys but uh, for me he's the best drummer that's been in priest i'm not saying he's the best priest drummer but he's the best drummer oh i see what you're getting at okay yeah but most you guys praised uh, you praised uh, his name scott travis I could be wrong here. I'm not as good yes. as, yes. as I'm with Maiden. Yeah. And he is praiseable. He's uh, an amazing metal drummer. But uh, as a drummer, as a whole, uh, Simon Phillips is a high, another level. But I mean, he played, yeah. in, he played in Fusion stuff and, you know, uh, Toto. I think he was in Toto for a bit. He was a studio I musician. Would, I think he's probably a little more versatile in the amount of genres that he can play in. Yeah, and also shops, you know, he can just do more difficult things that are deemed more difficult by the larger drummer collective. Mm. Uh, he's a really, really good drummer. And of course I didn't hear this when I was 15 at all. I was, I was very impressed by Scott in, in painkiller as was everyone, but I, I didn't catch uh, the nuance of how cool and how good uh, the entire drum track on the whole album is uh, sin after sin. It's very, it breathes a lot. It's not compressed and, you know, pushed together you know of course no triggers that wasn't a thing then it's very alive and very he controls the dynamic he's sort of like a 
controls the dynamic of the song, the way he plays the cymbals. And in this song, you get that sort of halftime as you get the the rolling bass drums. And that's like two different rhythms that uh, I guess make up the song. So the song has a slow pulse, but an intense Mm. filling in of the spaces in between that pulse. Yeah. Well, and some yeah, of Phillips, the, you know, the his the patterns that he's playing are, yeah. are just really incredible. And for their time, they had to have been ahead of their time. Yeah, definitely with the double bass thing, because back then that was uh, quite rare. You know, you had uh, the who comes to mind, uh, what, Keith Moon. That's the one that comes to mind, basically. But it wasn't a big thing. And definitely you didn't have good pedals and stuff for it. But uh, Simon Phillips seems to have incredible control as well when he's playing without sounding stiff. So it doesn't sound like he's trying to hit those right notes. Uh, rather, he's trying to finesse his game. He's sort of like an, an athlete on a high level where he's not thinking about hitting that ball. He's thinking about the precision, you know, in which to hit it. Uh, so I, I just wanted to really lift that, uh, you know, you've got incredible drums on this album. I would say Les Binks is also really good. Uh, coming in after mm. uh, so i mean they've had no shortage of of personnel uh, they haven't you know they've had a few lineup changes but always good mostly good mm. musicians like high bar uh, and I, you need it it's pretty hard to play these songs actually even on guitar they sound easier than they are yeah, what, to, is, what about you george yeah I, I have to say simon phillips drumming on this song is way before it's time the double mm. bass and the trashed cymbal patterns. It's the China. kind of stuff you hear in death metal to this yeah. day. Hardcore and death metal, that kind of stuff. And uh, he utilizes the China symbol a fair bit, which is sort of like an extreme metal type thing to do. I don't know where it ordered. I mean, I don't know the origins of it in terms of rock culture, but uh, definitely it's very prominent in death metal, for example, because you got that for sure. insane attack. You know, where a crash would be more like, you got that really precise and and uh, yeah, this is like a gold mine for for a drum lover like me. This whole album uh, and it doesn't end that that you know everything is always uh, like guitar wise. I talked about Sinner before the the melodic little bit in the middle of that. You know that's the reason where a reason alone I could have picked that song instead. But you have some really cool melodies in this one too, uh, but they are more aggressive. You know more ag- that oriented sure. towards that. Yeah. And KK Downing agrees with you on the drumming. He says, Mm -hmm. Simon lends a big boost to Dissident Aggressor. He says, I think the album really kicks in with that one. I mean, that was one of the last things we did. And that would have been a great starting point if the album would have opened with that song. So what do you guys think about that? Dissident Aggressor as an opener? Would it work? You go first, Tom. Yeah. Oh, I think absolutely, you know, because it has all the hallmarks of a good opener. But here's the thing is that you don't want to blow your load at the very start of the album. Yes. You want to kind of save that. It would be good at the beginning, but it's more appropriate to have it at the end, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion on that comes a lot from putting together my own sequences. And now I have this idea. I'm, I'm sort of finishing writing a, a new album now, a metal kind of stuff. And uh, I have this idea of a ride out exit song. So a short 
and kind of a powerful song at the end instead of that you know put the epic on at the end kind of idea which is also cool and i think i mean so this and aggressor is the second last on the album is it oh it's the closer it is the closer right yeah i thought so and and that's exactly the version that i have the the last song is um devil's gone Oh yeah, but that's an extra track, I think. So oh, this okay. is the closer, and it's oh, exactly okay. what I meant by like a ride out closer, which means like yeah. you ride out on the field. It's just the beginning of the next battle, that kind of feeling, uh, rather than put the epic and have that long ass tale of an end, which is cool too. You know, some albums really pull that off. Call of Cthulhu is a good example. I think that works really well on uh, Ride Lightning, but uh, I like these short ones now at the end, and I think Sinner is a cooler opener than this. I think Sinner fits perfectly there. A little bit more elongated, more time to get you used to the sound. Uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't switch that, no. I think this is a perfect way to to close it with a bang, you know. And uh, talking about blowing the load, you can do it at the end, you know. It's fine then. Yeah, yep, yep. I couldn't have said it any better than you. So, damn, dude. All right, next part of the song. Yeah, yeah, we didn't listen to more than a minute, right? Nah. I love what you said. Like he's not flashy. He's intricate. And his symbol work is some of the best I've ever heard. Yep. And, uh, George said, uh, at the brief moment where you were gone to attend to the, the bird, was it a bird? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a, he's a yellow naped Amazon parrot. George yeah. uh, made a very clear connection to more modern type metal drumming. You have that halftime feel and you have that China symbol. And that sort of yeah. pumping bass, it's, it's something that you can find in hardcore, in death metal, in thrash metal, all of that. And uh, it's, it's everywhere, got... like that sort of China. Yeah. And as the clip was playing, I was saying that he's not showing off either, you know, with that fill, for example, that goes into that first chorus, I think. It's not entirely complicated, but it sits, you know, it sits really well. And just listen to this song if you want to hear how you put something together properly. You know, that's just the thing. Even like my favorite band, Iron Maiden, sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes the stuff is not put together properly. Uh, and that goes through the whole discography. And so, you know, as a, as, as a big fan, it's part of the charm and all that. But uh, this is a song that is put together properly. Like nothing is a loose tie here. Everything is mm. a, without sounding stiff. So it's sort of magical, you know. That was beautiful. Yeah, you're right. There's really something about this song that's special where all yep. the pieces come together perfectly and you just know that it's one of those once in a lifetime songs and you can't recreate it if you try. Yeah. So and lightning in a bottle. Harkening back to Rob, uh, not Halford, but Rob, uh, the guest of your show, talking about uh, different ways to vocalize. Uh, Rob is almost being a bit cheeky here. Exploding, reloading, you know, rather than he's not doing that. I can't vocalize either of those, but you know, I'm not Rob. I'm not <laughs> even the other Rob. <laughs> but yeah, the, the amount of distortion is what I'm, you know, kind of pointing at. That is not that high in these verses, but they still sound aggressive because he's on those high notes 
and the lyrics uh, have intent in them. So you don't always need to scream your lungs out at all times. I mean, you have that opening scream, which is otherworldly, but then he sort of leans back into more of a character. Again, the character thing with the exploding, reloading, squares, never ending is not that muscular, but you don't need it because you, you, he's standing on top of this song that is just all muscle. So he can, you, you know, just narrate, just relax, and uh, it's very professional. That's what I think, you know, it's just like another point of how the song is well put together is that you can't have all instruments hitting maximum all the time. I mean, maybe if you're playing Death Grind or something, you can do that. But not even then, I would argue, you always have to, someone has to step back for another guy to step forward. And here, actually, Rob, the lead singer, is kind of stepping back a bit, not pushing that hard because you already have that riff. You have Simon Phillips and you have uh, my other favorite, Ian Hill, just pumping. You know, so, such a solid bass player and you know, just a cool character, I think. Oh, yes, he is. And you raised a good point where Rob, he, you say he's taking a little bit of a backseat. And you might not realize that at first because his performance is so tremendous. But if you look up the lyrics, you can see he's not actually singing all that much. Like it's just a few lines. Of course, they're powerful enough that it still leaves a huge impact. Now, yep. I have been really chomping at the bit to get into these lyrics, guys. Sure. So yeah. Let's- Let's talk about the first verse and first chorus, the part we just listened to. Right. So I'll just go ahead with my theory. So the lyrics to me, they seem to be written in a first person narrative. And the narrator, the narrator of this story is the Berlin Wall itself. I am Berlin. That's it. So Grand Canyons of Space and Time Universal. That's the first line, and that's yep. possibly the most abstract metaphor in the entire lyrics. But what I think it's referring to is the enormous ideological gap between the two halves of Berlin. Germany. Uh, yeah, it's, Berlin and Germany, and also the East and the West. You know, I, Cold War uh, is coming up and all that. So, yeah, the, 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 it's a big divide, definitely. That's how I saw it initially as well, before the whole Berlin story. That, that, you know, that first line to me is quite clear, even though it's metaphorical. It seems very clearly depicting a divide, Grand Canyons, yeah, space and time universal. Something, something is far away from something else, or sure. divided by some kind of blockage or. Well, here canyon. in the states, one of our biggest tourist spots is the Grand Canyon in Arizona, and it's an enormous chasm. So, yep, yeah, that's the most apt metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think about how one city could be divided in such an absolute way. It, it's oh, yeah. not something that I've ever seen before. The Berlin Wall came down before I was born, but right. I hear about the enormous impact it had. People who visited the Berlin Wall, they always say how foreboding it was to be there. Yeah, and you had these there two sections time. of the same city that were just cut off from each other physically, not not just physically, though, there was also an extreme ideological divide. And like I said, the Grand Canyon is a metaphor for that huge gap. And yeah. if the Berlin Wall is the narrator, these are the things that it has to see every day facing in both directions. Yeah, I would add to that, that when I've been there, I think five times or something, it's close anyway, it's, it's really close here. It's not expensive to go, it's not far. But uh, I've been there a few times and what really hit me the hardest was not seeing the wall or the city, but hearing uh, 
um, personal testimonies from people that actually were raised there. You know, like any other hub, uh, most people have moved in from the countryside or from smaller places. Like it's the same in Stockholm, probably the same in New York, but uh, there are some original Berliners there and their parents growing up in that environment. And when the wall was actually a wall, because, you know, the, the, the physical wall is not, that's not the wall. Uh, the actual wall is the ideological wall, you know, uh, and and the, the political wall and the divide in between. And, you know, they are still as perplexed, or not perplexed, but as amazed, I guess, as amazed is probably the wrong word too, but as you, George, they have the same thing. Like, they can't even imagine it, and they lived it. That's something really strange for me. Like, uh, uh, we don't have anything akin to that uh, in Stockholm these years. You know, you, it's hard for me to imagine. Like, it's still strange to them. It's not. It hasn't landed yet. You know, it's still weird. It's like it's contrived. Well, because it's like culture shock almost. You know, coming yeah. from a more like highly developed Western part to the more repressed sort of drab concrete communist part of the country. And you know, there's still, I can imagine there's still got to be a cultural divide between the two. Yep. Same thing now, um, not to get super topical or news oriented here, but I also like the Ukrainian metal scene. I spent a lot of time in Ukraine. They are in war now. And that war is also the same thing, actually. It's in between West and it's in between East. And, it, you know, they have a lot of um, sort of Russian bought men up high in power incredible corruption you know just like olympian corruption over there mm. this war has been going on for almost 10 years and it's the same thing uh, so not to like re reshift the focus to ukraine but it's the same thing it's in between those two ideologies uh, one is more europe leaning and one is more traditional or you know conservative leaning to, towards towards russia and uh, that was the situation in berlin so i think you know somehow the topic is still hot even though the, the wall fell, I believe, in 89, you know? So I was yeah. uh, two years old, sure. coming to three when it fell. This 45-year-old song about a wall that no longer exists somehow yeah. still manages to be relevant thanks to Definitely, you putting yeah. the pieces together of the themes, Jonathan. And keep in mind, listeners, we have only talked about the first line of the lyrics yeah. so far. <laughs> yeah, we're not even... Good we're line. Not even- we aren't even past the first verse, man. Right. So- Grand Canyons of Space and Time Universal, my mind is subjected to all. So the Berlin Wall, who's the narrator, is expressing that it has to witness and take in the anger and pain that's coming from both sides of the wall. Mm. Stab, ball, punch, crawl. That's a bit more straightforward. It stands for the actual fighting between the two sides. Hooks to my brain are well in. Well in. That's this is a English little phrase. more open-ended. Well in. You guys don't say that over in the States. You don't say that. Nah, we don't. They're far in or something like that. They're not well in. Or deep in. The deep, in yeah. deep in my brain. Uh, these, these hooks are well in my brain. You know, it's yeah. uh, <laughs> Re- Reading through Rob Halford's biography, all the strange language that they use in England is 
really eye-opening to me so it yeah. kind of it, it adds a little extra context to eccentricity that whole yeah <laughs> and man what a what a hell of a life this dude's lived oh yeah for the hooks in my brain are well in that one i feel refers to the way that someone can be so religiously devoted to their politics that their minds are unable to comprehend all other points of view mm. and the well, other about mind control What's up? Also, it could be mind control as well, that the hooks are from elsewhere, but they're well in. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're being Fair controlled. Point. It could be brainwashing. Yeah. But that's could the other interpretation yeah. I had. Uh, possibly state-sponsored propaganda, which is something that was notoriously prevalent during the Cold War. Yeah. Still is. Still is. Yep. So the hooks are put in your brain by the government who wants you to think a certain way. That's or how I read it. you can self-insert the hooks with your own narrow mind. I like that too. And I would guess that it wasn't, you know, I would guess these lyrics would be up for interpretation a little bit, but they are also way more uh, concrete than I thought. Uh, thank, uh, you know, I know now, thanks you, Tom. So share for that. And I kind of think they're even better now, actually. Oh. They have that imagery in there because my imagery was more of a, you know, again, more of an ancient renegade hero facing an impregnable oh. wall, which could be, I don't know, the, the rule of, of the countries in or the rule of the imaginary countries in. But it's not that far away from from this version. Just this version no. strikes a little bit harder, you know. Uh, yeah, so well, I guess you know now having that cultural context of this happened, you know, when Rob was visiting the Berlin Wall when it was still yeah uh, a standing structure, a real you thing. Know? Yeah, yeah, it's still so, a real thing, but you know. Well, then, yeah, as I said, politically not, and all that ideology, yeah. it was yeah. so much heavier. Yeah. You know, it's not about the yeah. mass of the wall. Mm. And on that note, I think that's a good time to listen to the next part of the song. Yes. We talk a lot about the scream at the beginning of Distant Aggressor, but uh, Overlooked, also awesome scream, right there at the end of the second chorus. Yeah. Only one one small thing that I would say. The riffs here are not thrashy. They're actually quite doomy, Sabbathy. So you still have that, you know, one foot in, in blues. Even though this song is so clearly metal, I agree with uh, I agree with you, Tom. I think it's the first real metal song. I mean, uh, maybe Tyrant, but that's a different brand of it. But uh, still, they have those bluesy riffs. So it's almost if like nothing else. You could say that it's one of their first metal songs. Yeah, yeah, and but, yeah. you know, still maintaining that old school sound in in the riffs, which surprises yeah. me a bit. That they they get away with a lot in this song. You know, this song gets away with everything. Everything seems uh, to just work. Uh, you know, it could be hard work behind it. That's how I'd like to see it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's an interesting uh, musical mashup. And that was the only thing I was thinking about now. So you guys fill in. Um, I need to know what you make of the second verse through cracked, blackened memories of unit dispersal. I face the impregnable wall. Well, the impregnable wall. 
that's a little more self-explanatory. What, what about the first part, the cracked, blackened memories of unit dispersal? No, so I'm thinking like, oh, hold on. Give me one second. Sure. I think it sounds badass anyway, That those lines. I have no interpretation on them, but they sound badass. Without trying to get too political, Germany has a bit of an ugly history. I mean, not just in terms of what happened during World War II, but going beyond that, it has a really... It's got a violent. pretty yeah, violent history of imperialism and anti-Semitism and racism. And, you know, for me, the idea of like cracked blackened memories kind of remind me of reminiscing about a dark past. And in mm. East Germany specifically, people were not made to take personal responsibility for the Holocaust the way they were in the West. Because as, as to the extent of my knowledge in East Germany, the Soviet propaganda was basically telling them that they were victims of the bourgeoisie and therefore couldn't have had control and couldn't have possibly known what was going on. And in the West, the, the sentiment was, no, you let this happen. You're responsible for this. You need to atone and acknowledge what, what's happened. So... You're kind of looking at two different dichotomies for how the prevailing superpowers dealt with Germany in the post-war period. And the idea of um, cracked blackened memories to me signifies that you've got two sides of this, uh, two different populations, and they're looking at the post-war situation with a completely different lens. Well put. I think Thank it, you. you know, I, I like hope mer merit. I think yeah, I've I've, mm. I've studied that a bit and tried to look into it. It's interesting with uh, German culture because I, I mean I'm obviously born and raised in a sort of a post-violent uh, Germany era, and mm. now Germany is it's one of those countries that they're sort of always um, apologizing still to this day, which could make sense, you know, uh, it's become part of their psyche. Uh, I'm quite into uh, a genre that uh, sometimes called Krautrock or Krautrock, which is uh, sort of a monotonous uh, German bands like Can, Neu, for example, and even Kraftwerk before they were synth, they, they had a kind of uh, Krautrock thing going. And the thing with that genre that makes it so cool to me is that it's sort of devoid of all mythology and stuff that I like in metal because they don't really have stories to tell. It's almost like the culture has been wiped by the Third Reich and now they, they just sing about, you know, a, a highway, like Autobahn or something, because it's mm -hmm. not too much culture to draw from. It's almost like, you know, year zero type feeling to the German culture post World War II. And uh, you can tell that in, in this song, too. I think you, you can feel that vibe a little bit, the sort of desolate energy, I guess, or being lost in I'd time. I'm curious to know where most of those bands come from. Because if they come from East Germany, that would make a little more sense because a big part of Sovietization was to sort of flatten and forget the culture of the past. You know, even things like, you know, during Stalin's time, a lot of a lot of monasteries were purged, you know, yep. because the Soviet Union didn't have a, it. It's official, if you want to call it, its stance on religion was state atheism. Mm -hmm. So a lot of 
significant religious and historic cultural landmarks were destroyed during that period. Sure. And I'm not, and I'd be very interested to know if there's a similar sentiment in East Germany where maybe some of that culture was wiped away in favor of um, the Soviet Union's brand of Marxist Leninism. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong at all. I agree with everything about that. But I would add that uh, the sort of post Nazi Germany capitalism also mm -hmm. had that drained culture, you know, it was sort of yeah. drained, because oh, sure, they had joined the, the winning side. But they came in losing sort of anyway, especially culturally. And German culture has ever since then and still to this day is there's some ambiguity around it, you know, like they almost didn't get the fresh start just yet. They do okay. well economically, they do well in uh, uh, engineering, you know, very good at that. But I think culturally, they're still struggling a little bit, actually. And I think they would admit this too, uh, from this period. And I think both the, the communist side of it, the East German side, which, you know, you could even buy a guitar, like you mentioned, Richard uh, Kruspe, uh, Richard Z. Kruspe. And he, you know, he had to go to Prague to get a guitar because that was, you know, it wasn't part of it. And I, uh, I watched this documentary about uh, Alexei Pajitnov in, uh, in Russia. He made Tetris, the game Tetris. And, yeah. you know, you couldn't do that in Soviet. You weren't allowed to have a personal endeavor. Uh, so he, he couldn't get like a single dime and it was all sort of uh, in hands of a corrupt uh, EL org organization that, you know, sort of just, you know, took the rights to it. Uh, he, eventually he, he got, you know, he got his share, but I think it took 25 years. So that's how limiting uh, yeah. communism can be. You can't buy a guitar, you can't uh, even sell your own product, uh, basic stuff like that. But if you look at the winning side, uh, these guys, the the Krautrock bands were usually from like Düsseldorf and the, the Western areas, but they still had uh, somehow their culture was wiped in some way, which adds to the music. It's sort of the foundation of techno music as well comes from that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in any yeah. in, in any stretch of the imagination on this one, but it's very... Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to make any commentary without just kind of giving you conjecture more yeah i already that, gave conjecture and I guess <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to do I, i'm yeah but if, i mean if, if anyone that knows better is listening uh, i'm just going to say that it's actually just interest that sparks this yeah so i'm riffing out of interest here because it's a very interesting thing and especially looking at these lyrics right i was going to continue with the song but uh if you have something else go for it i think we're nope. ready for for more more song hell Let's yeah go. There's only one person solo? who could have done that guitar solo, guys. It's KK Downing. It is KK. Yeah. Yeah. It's that really erratic, chaotic, like 
just fucking make it rad. It's nasty. Like yeah, my friend yeah. Greg or your friend as well. Our friend Greg would say it's fucking nasty that guitar yeah. solo. It's it's it's, it's yeah. incredibly filthy and uh, violent and you know <laughs> just like that's really ahead of its time. This guitar solo. No one did this. You know, Jimi Hendrix of course he said his strat on fire, but it never sounded like this. This is like like ugh, it's, it's, it's uh, filthy. It's, it's it's horrible, but it's so good. And it's great that you bring up Hendrix because that was K.K. Downing's main yeah. inspiration. That was his lifelong hero. If you read K.K.'s book, he talks in the opening chapters about how he went to see Jimi Hendrix live and it changed his life. And he knew he was going to be a guitarist. Happened so to many. Apt comparison. Yeah. yeah, happened to a lot of people. Richie Blackmore, Ingrid Mamstein, same thing. They saw Jimi Hendrix and it's like, I want to be that guy. And uh, of course, he's incredible, but uh, yeah. he never got this filthy. I think he would have if he had survived. But this solo is just like, I'm going to send it over to Tom. But what I hear is just like, uh, absolutely reeks of like, it's, it's like a flesh wound type solo. It's, it's really mm. like, uh, it's not meant to be pleasing at all. It's, it's not mm. evil, but it's extremely brutal, I would say. It is. It's a very, it's very chaotic and sort of... Um... What's the word I'm looking for? like? Well, I hate it. It's it's dissonant. Like, it is dissonant. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme dissonant is very... dissonant. I mean, it's yeah, a school book exactly. ex example of dissonance. It really is. Like, <laughs> you yes. could show this to someone if you want to explain what dissonance is because it's incredibly yeah. dissonant. Yes. Yeah. And it just it fits with the song really well. I mean, this is this song lends itself really well to KK's style of soloing. Yeah where it's sort of erratic and it's not that it's all over the place. Like it's a very sort of controlled chaos. Controlled chaos. I was just going to ask you guys, I looked at this riff now. Uh, who do you think wrote this riff? Cause I have no clue. Uh, I'll, I'll vocalize it then. Who wrote that? Like because it's it. it's sort of like uh, still blues based. There's not any dissonance in that riff, but it sounds heavy and evil. Is that, that? a KK thing or is that a more of a Tipton thing? Because uh, I'm not. They're that not very transparent about who writes which parts of songs. I gotta say, like yeah. they're very just proper and English with their no. We all hmm, share the okay. writing credit and we yeah. all work on it together. Yeah, it's very I much mean, one of those things like a gentleman doesn't kiss and tell. Right. Yeah, I respect that. But as a nerd, I want to know. You know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, too. same. Like, I'm dying <laughs> to know who wrote that riff. But like, I'll, yeah, I'll because in Maiden, you can know. sort of tell. In Maiden, you can tell who wrote the riff. Mm. If you're like into it enough. But I never, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can I, I don't know Priest as well. You can tell with Maiden because they have different writing credits and you see a song written by Murray yeah, that's how you create the or Gers or Smith, and then you know, but Priest has never done that. It's always been just all songs by Tipton Downing Halford. I'd like to imagine Hill 
is active even in that process i just like to imagine that i have no clue again i don't know priests nearly as well as i know maidens i don't know the inner workings but i'd love to sort of imagine hill just being a part of the writing even though he doesn't you know do much on the base in terms of uh seeking attention he's, he's more of mm -hmm. that kind of uh, cliff williams acdc type player uh really cool uh, again i think he's an unsung hero in this band oh, ian hill ian yeah, hill deserves absolutely. a lot of a lot of accolade for just you know basically not taking too much space there's like this no. uh, there's this uh anecdote from king crimson a british prog uh, rock band the really weird band but uh once the drummer I've heard got, 21st century schizoid man i know yeah yeah the drummer once got credits for not doing anything he was credited as a songwriter because he came in and he was like no no this song is better without drums and he was credited for that you know, wow, uh, that's wild. I think that's pretty cool. And I, I, I'd like to imagine Ian Hill being credited for just, you know, anchoring a song, but I have no clue. Yeah. Involved. I, don't I, know, I but... imagine he's there. He's like, I'm just happy to be here. Or maybe just saying, like, let's go from A to C here instead of A to B. You know, yeah. I'm just guessing now, completely spitballing, but I would hope sure. he would have such a role in the band, you know, compositionally. But I don't know if I, he's even involved. I mean, listen, he, he's the only original member at this point, you know, that alone, like holding on to a bass player for that long, it's impressive, yeah. you know, and he's a damn good bassist. And, you know, especially yeah. live, he adds a lot of flair to their performances. And he's, he's the only person who's never quit Judas Priest. Technically, right, right. tapping his foot, tapping four four for fifty years, you know, it's just <laughs> tapping four, four tapping four four and, and and playing eight notes, and I'm I'm sure he can do a lot more. But you know, I just love sure. that sort of uh, I would call that uh, musical um, maturity that you can just yeah. do what do Dude, what's necessary. Eats, he eats, sleeps, and breathes in four four. Yep, taps the foot. As he sleeps, mm -hmm. probably. You've seen that on stage the entire <laughs> yeah. career, and I love seeing it. It's a great shtick. You don't have to be... Yeah. Everyone doesn't have to be Harris running around playing like uh, the, the the firearm bass and, you know... Yeah, well, Harris and, wants everyone to know he's in charge and he wants yep. to be center stage. Like, yep. there are stories about how during the Number of the Beast tour, Steve and Bruce would fight over who was going to have their equipment in the center. Yeah, yeah. Same personality type, you know, but very different persons. That's the thing. You can have very different persons, but they have the same idea of, of leadership and, and, and dominion. And that's the case in Maiden. There's been a problem for that band. And if you have a guy like Ian Hill, it's perfect. He's not gonna he's not gonna create power struggles that much. It is no. it is funny, like, you know, for the 40 years that they were together, I mean, or however many years they were together as Rob. Ken, Glenn, Ian, and third drummer here. Yes, exactly. Exploding drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was remarkably consistent live. Like you had Glenn on the right, Ken on the left, Rob in the center, and everyone was happy with it. Yeah, I mean, a perfectly functioning machine, isn't it? Yeah, it really was. It was such a well-oiled machine. I'm not. And melancholy is an easy trap for me to fall into. So, yep. Not to say that their current live act is not a well-oiled machine because it certainly is. And of course, it's not the same guys. Insane. It's not the same guys, but Richie and Andy are professionals onto themselves. Yeah. No, the they are both insane. tremendous players. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's just that Faulkner reminds me a bit of what I said about drummer um, Phillips. 
that uh, Faulkner also has this ability of sounding incredibly relaxed. Uh, he doesn't sound like he's striving for control. He just has control. He does. He's yeah. that. Which is, you know, I, I play guitar for 20 years now, but that's still sort of foreign and magical to me, how you can be so relaxed and maintain such control. And then Richard Faulkner yeah. is like a, a league of his own in, in that regard. You know, he's like, a, there's not many people that could beat him, I think. He's one of the best mm, guitarists wow. on earth uh, for, for this I genre. Agree. Yeah. I think as it's far probably better than all the guys metal, in Maiden. No. It's probably better than yeah, all the other. I, I, I got to be honest. Yeah, as far as metal guitar players go, Richie is top tier, man. He's there with the best of them at this point. Yeah. You got stuff like Gary Holt, I would say, also is a really good metal player uh, from Exodus. Oh, dude. And, Gary and Holt is one of my, he's one of my greatest inspirations on yeah, guitar. Really solid. I player. knew that's you why we get along so well. You bring yeah. up Gary Holt and we're friends instantly. <laughs> yeah, cool Very guy. Much. Cool guy. And uh, yeah. Jonas Tveit was... in the section, I would say also really solid rhythm guitar player. Uh, he was a great uh, frontman. He was, Who? I think, the best Swedish metal frontman to date. Oh, Jon, yeah, in the section, yeah. But I oh, would also say his, his guitar man. playing was actually really good. He could have played in Priest, not the leads, but he could have played. He had yeah. that precision and he had that yeah. that Ju judgment of, of dynamics, you know, within the small dynamics within the pick. Guys, stay tuned yeah, for Tom picking. and Jonathan's Black Metal Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah, yeah, like not gonna spoil John it. Nodvite, John Nodvite just was like, you know, he is, his picking was so intricate and on point. And, you know, when he was up on stage, he just commanded the audience, yeah. sort of. It's like he's up there. It's like Bobby Blitz always says, I'm in charge. Yeah, I think he was a Priest fan. I'm quite sure. I know he was a big Maiden fan, a big Manowar fan. I would like to add that also after Greg came on completely slashing down Manowar that I, I will stand for being a Manowar fan. Um, but not as a kid, though. As an adult, I, I got into them. I got past that sort of completely ridiculous uh, facade that they have. And I found some kind of really high quality basic metal in there. You know, a lot of my enemies, yeah. for example. Everyone has their moment with Man of War. Yeah, and mine has been lasting. But I mean, they're never going to be priest. They're not going to be made or anything. But uh, it's it's actually a really good band, in my opinion. You know, just to contrast your previous guest, uh, and uh, and and definitely for you, Nerdfate. You know, it was Man of War. It was Maiden, and it was Bathory. That was his like. That's where he drew from to do that, and. Probably priest. I, I wouldn't imagine him not being a priest fan. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. I don't know anyone who likes Maiden that doesn't like priest. Although I like priest and don't care for Maiden. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that would be more common maybe because priests are at this stage more fringe than Maiden. But at a previous stage, like we talked about George in in my podcast, uh, priests were ahead of Maiden in in the states for a bit there, but uh, definitely not now. You know. Uh, now they are more fringe, and that's maybe why I also connect them more to extreme metal than I do Maiden. I connect Maiden more to classic rock, maybe because mm. of the size of the band, you know, and the, that whole yeah. thing. I don't know what you guys think about that, like uh, how much classic rock and how much metal in Priest yeah. contra Maiden, you know. George is more of an authority on that than I am. Uh, I don't know if that's a subject I could speak on. Um, <laughs> we'll that, save that for a later date. Yeah, it's a tough question. But uh, I guess the point of it is that priests have maintained some kind of metalness to them that yeah. is rare. You know, it's rare to see this. I've, I worked with so many bands and bands that come off as really badass, but they're not, you know. And I think priest is, is the real deal and Rob is the real deal. Like, you know? Yeah, 
I mean, on the other end, I mean, there's bands that now that like started as metal bands that completely ditched their metal roots. I mean, Opeth isn't really a metal band anymore, are they? No, no. Uh, I think they're, I mean, I liked them the most when they had that fusion going on because I think he mastered mm. something unique where in during yeah. Blackwater Park, Deliverance, Still Life, that era. He mastered a, like a unique balance, but now he's just completely doing prog. And then I'd rather listen to the prog guys. I'd rather listen to Yes and King Crimson, you know, etc. So I think, I, I don't know, this is, I guess, ties into the whole metal discussion that you should have some kind of respect for your, for your roots. Should we send this song home, guys? Let's do sure. it, boys. Why the song has to be the closer? That's why the song has to be the closer. Yeah, um, you know what, man? I I think so. There was no other way. No other way. Oh man, what a! I am so glad that we're finally talking about this. I bring this up, this song up on every single episode, and just getting to discuss it. You know, the conversation. It's deeper than I anticipated it would be, and I really love what we've covered so far. Yeah, I have to agree, man. It made the song even better, and I thought it couldn't get any better. Yeah, honestly, like it's already a perfect song. But uh, yeah, uh, just <laughs> knowing feel... the things and putting Berlin in there, super interesting. That was today yeah. years old that I found. I that, feel you know. very, I feel vindicated about constantly badgering our audience about this song. Yeah, keep doing it though, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or sinner or, or stained class. I mean, they, or any of them. Yeah. For nuance, for nuance, I would say they have so many songs that are would be worthy of, of doing that. But uh, this is definitely one of them. So why not represent this one? You know, uh, I would say. But you know, again, stained class, sinner. Uh, there's many of these songs. Uh, Screaming for vengeance. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, that is, uh, of course, Sentinel. I would say also is a song that I could bring up. But yeah. this has a little bit of that extra. Just like this is a treasure, this song, I would say. It's like a treasure. Yeah. It belongs in, like, if you had a metal museum, it could belong in a, like, a center monitor in the big oh, hall. It's beautiful. Absolutely. That, I'm going to 100% agree with you on that. Priest is one of my newer, like, uh, obsessions together with uh, mm-hmm. Thin Lizzy. Yeah. And Deep Purple, those, those three bands sort of came in uh, more as of late. And uh, yeah. it's very rewarding, you know, and also the fact that they change the sound a bit more often than Maiden. I like that because it's more adventurous to go through, through the back catalog, you know, mm. which I, I kind of filled up until the 80s now. But I don't have any like, clue about the later stuff. When we, we talk about all the time, just mm. the amazing diversity of Priest. And yeah. we love that. It when, makes it fun to explore a new album. It's like, what am I going to get this time? And, and still it's priests, right? Yeah. And still they maintain the, the culture, you know. We talked a lot about culture today, the cultural walls and all that, like being more important probably than the physical walls. 
And I think Priest has a strong culture that's been kept through all these ups and downs. I, I see them as a bad luck band because they had many opportunities, I think, that were missed, not because of uh, shortcomings, but somehow just missed. I don't know. I don't believe in luck. I don't really. But if there was something as luck, they don't have it. You know, this is more of a struggling band to me anyway, like how, how I see Priest. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I don't have any clue if it's actually the case. It's just the 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 feeling I get from Priest is like they, they had to fall down and get up quite a few times. And uh, that's another part of what we love about them. John, yep. I would love to get your input on this third verse, exploding, reloading, the quest never ending until I give out my last breath. What do you think of that? First and foremost, like all the lyrics, just sounds badass. Just sounds great. Yeah. Uh, what I would connect it to thematically or emotionally is something like a sort of a fight or an ongoing conflict or battle. That's what it sounds like to me. That uh, until I give out my last breath, you know, that sounds like sort of uh, the die by the sword type mentality or, uh, I don't know, over my dead body type mentality that, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this. Uh, I know what I am. I believe I thought it was, but it's I'm Berlin. But uh, <laughs> but I'm still stuck in my old, old sort of interpretation of the song, right? And that involves this kind of... Uh, uh, a renegade character not really a warrior character but a renegade character and he knows what he's doing so he's like he's convinced but well, the just song like, title might give you that too i mean but he's out of odds you know he's, he's on the bad side of the odds but he knows mm. so he's gonna keep doing this until he gives out his last breath yeah. that's probably I how that, i would see the verse yeah i think that ideas are most important when they're in conflict with each other so this whole thing of exploding reloading and this quest never ending to me especially in the context of the east west divide of berlin is these ideologies constantly clashing and butting heads with exploding, each other exploding yeah makes yep. sense exploding reloading and the quest this quest never, never ending, ending. yeah, so yeah the, quest even, for, uh, the quest for the quest for what's the word uh, i'm gonna let you continue but there's a word there uh, for uh, being unanimous you know the, the quest yes. for sort of coming to terms i guess could be the question yeah i damn i wish i knew but i know i know what you're talking about prevalence like the i this the quest for like for quest for prevalence. cultural yeah the quest for cultural prevalence is never ending even today there is a discourse around conservatism versus progressivism and it's yeah. sort of an evolution of cold war era politics for sure and it's far too basic in my opinion anyway it's far too basic. Like you can't divide people in left and right. It's just no. silly. But that is the explosion, I think, and the the reloading of it. But again, my interpretation comes from my old seeing of the lyrics. So I don't involve the whole Berlin I thing mean, yet. But listen, I think it makes it that, more interesting. I mean, listen, that old interpretation is just as valid as anything that we've discussed today. It's just a different interpretation. Oh yeah, no, sure. It's just like now I get new ideas, right, in in real time yeah. here. But that makes it I even like better. It. Yeah, listen, I, I like inspiring people to think in a different way. Oh, yeah, that's that's like that's what we do, right? Uh, yeah. Ideally. You can get some of that interpretation 
just from the title. And I think we have to sort of break down what we think that means at this point. So Google the definition of dissident. It's a person Uh, who opposes uh, official policy, especially that of an authoritative uh, state. That sounds like an authoritarian state. Yeah. My original interpretation, I didn't even know the word dissident. Actually, I come out as a Swede. I actually didn't know what it meant. So the Mm -hmm. interpretation wasn't because of that word, but it totally goes with it. Yeah. Or it could also be used in addition to official policy. But then the aggressor part, Google the definition of aggressor. That's a person or country that attacks another first. So how does that sort of tie back into what we're seeing with the story told in the lyrics? Oh, wow. Big question. You know, uh, I'm going to let Tom do the real talk and I'm just going to still stay with my old, old idea of what the song is. And that would, you know, be the sort of a renegade rebel that is, he's not going to follow. He doesn't even have in his mind to follow. Like he'd rather die. That's the feeling I, I get yeah, from, well, from, from the character of the song. And, uh, uh, you said something interesting there about um, seeking sort of um, uh, compliance or seeking, um, I guess, peace at some point. I think this character wouldn't mind that, but I think he's so sure of what he believes and he's so sure that the vast majority, they don't get him and he, he doesn't really get them. That's the vibe I get from the song. And yeah, well, there's, the last a, there's sort of a, there's a fr- especially when he says, you know, I'm stabbing and bawling, punch, punching and crawling. Love that. It's this per, it's this person who is, you know, fighting with everything they have against a culture or a society that is trying with all of its might to repress them. Yeah. And that's kind of where I think your and my interpretation lines up Interconnect in the a bit, sense yeah. that yeah, in the sense that this sounds to me like a person who just cannot abide by these rigid power structures that have taken hold on whatever on maybe both sides of the wall. Yeah. So quite possibly hard, both. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's physically so, impossible for this character. That's how I see it. Like physically yeah. impossible to do that. He, he he'd rather just die, you know. Yeah, you physically, your convictions are such that you cannot abide by this world that you find yourself in. Yeah. Or if the narrator is the Berlin Wall itself, Ooh. as I was alluding to before, That's cool too. then you can sort of use that in the same line of thinking like, well, this wall is between both countries. It has to see what's on both sides. And mm. it's just sort of struggling to hold itself up against the extreme clash of ideals. Yeah. That's a great interpretation. And, Never and, looked at it like that, but that's, and, well, that's a great one. And maybe the wall itself is saying that maybe I shouldn't even exist if this is the yep. kind of derision and division that I'm causing between these people. And it did fall uh, 12 years yeah. later. Or so, something like, uh, yeah, 12 years later, it it did fall, right? And the way it stands now is a wall that is saying, I'm no longer a wall in that sense. Like, I'm a a monument or I'm a, 
yeah. artifact of, of what used to be a wall. That's yeah, how, like how it Hadrian, looks now. Hadrian's wall in England is kind of like that's obviously nothing like it used to be, but yes, it's, it's a, a reminder now. of a different yeah. time. Yes. Like uh, same as the Disneyland Aggressor would be in the Metal Museum. That would also be like a, a standstill yeah. symbol of, of the whole thing, right? Uh, so Because mm. now the, the, the wall is not threatening now, if you see it. It doesn't look evil. It doesn't look yeah. anything like it, you know, it's because it's, mm. it's all... It's gone. You know, they, they did yeah, tear well, down the wall. It's a relic from another time. And that's all it is yeah. now. It can no relic longer be Relic is the word I was used. looking for. Thank you. Nice. It can no longer be used as a force of violent division as it once was. Yeah. But other things can, sadly, you know. Yeah. Well, that's like, listen, there's a whole nother like metaverse out there like metaphysical things that divide people more so than physical barriers but that's a fucking rabbit hole yeah but i think the song addresses that at least to mm. me it does with that sure the, the canyons in the beginning you know the line we got stuck on for 20 minutes we did that yeah. for a reason <laughs> you know it was a reason for that because that sets the stage and and you know i think you you said uh tom yeah you said that there is no there's no real other way than war actually um uh, Sort of a, it could sound like a dramatic statement. Uh, I think you said peace was impossible or something like that. You have to, you know, cite yourself. I'm not going to uh, yeah, paraphrase you. Yeah, I don't remember you. saying I'm that. I'm not going to paraphrase but, you, but it was something about yeah. the, the, you know, the ongoing conflict and how you you will always have some type of conflict. At least that's what I Oh, heard. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was saying, I think what I was saying is that, you know, the political struggles of today are an evolution of Cold War era politics to one extent or another. Yeah, it was that, but it was something. But I mean, I was quite drunk at the time. I was going home from the gig with, with Cal. <laughs> so we were chatting away. But it was something about, you know, uh, wishing for peace. And then you came in like, uh, it's kind of impossible. I don't remember clearly, you know. Because... Wait, when were, was this over um, chat or was it? Yeah, over... yeah, just over chat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm going to have to go back and look at it then. Yeah, but I mean, some of those things you've said already, of course. Uh, but uh, it's just, it's, it springs to mind, you know, when we're getting really like... Uh, we're zooming out quite a bit here yeah, with this song. The, the song we're is literally sending us up like a satellite. It really is, right? We're flying up yeah, with, uh, with this aggressor and looking at, at, at us, I guess. We're looking at ourselves through this song. In fact, there's one more thing that we have to acknowledge before we finish. Mm -hmm. So the band didn't play Distant Aggressor live very much. A little bit in 1977 on their Sin After Sin tour, but it didn't become a bonafide Judas Priest hit until three decades later.
the song came back to the set list for the Nostradamus tour cycle in 08 and 09. This was documented on the live album, Touch of Evil, which came out in 2009. And that live version would end up earning Judas Priest a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance in 2010. Now, regardless of my personal feelings on the Grammys, this is still a cool achievement, guys. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. In Same that, around like, here, you know, more... when, uh, Watain, for example, when Watain wins a, a Grammy in Sweden, it's still yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, well, because Sweden actually respects metal as an art form. And in sort the of, U.S., yeah, sort of. It, it's listen, man, it's still considered pretty fringe and underground. It, like as far as, you know, pop culture is concerned, it's more prevalent, but it doesn't have that level of respect yet and might never. But, you know you kind of encounter this pattern with priest over the years songs that didn't get their time in the limelight until 10, 20 years after they were released and sort of a delayed gratification in the Mm. recognition that they get. Like you see so many examples of this people saying, I didn't get priest when I was young, I got a little older and now I see how awesome they are. We've had people yeah. on our show say that. We've had the Grammys come to recognize how great Judas Priest is too late. Mm. And that's another running joke in their history, I guess. Do you guys yeah. want to hear Rob Halford's Grammy acceptance speech? Sure. Yeah. I, I, would just add, I would just add to that, that this all makes a lot of sense to me, seeing as how I sold Sin After Sin because it wasn't metal. And then I rebought it. And it's one of the best albums I've heard. That's the same thing, right? Uh, that you just described. Yeah. Uh, way later, credit goes where credit is due. That was my case. So for me, it's very easy to see how that could be the macro case as well, and not just my microcosmos, you know. Because in in, in that one, priest was uh, uh, not treated fairly, but uh, now they are treated fairly. You know, it took Agreed. its time, just like yeah. uh, you described. You know, so it, it sounds logical to me. I agree. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. Rob Halford's acceptance speech. It's only one minute long. Yeah, let's listen. I'm interested. And the Grammy goes to Judas Priest for dissident aggressor. Fifth time is a charm. This is our fifth nomination. Uh, Judas Priest has been making heavy metal for over 35 years around the planet. We love what we do. Thank you, uh, Rob Stringer. Uh, the Sony family, the Epic family worldwide, uh, Bill Kerbishley, uh, Jane Andrews Management, uh, KK and Glenn and Ian, who are in England, couldn't make it, but they send their love. Everybody in the press and the media, the radio, on the ground and in the space, um, and all the heavy metal fans, this is for you. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Yeah, nice and succinct. He didn't yeah, over, go overboard. Simple, I didn't overdo it. It was almost formal, but with heart, I would say. I yeah. think he does sneak in a very subtle little nod to exactly what we were talking about, the delayed recognition. Part of that speech, he says, fifth yeah. time's the charm. This is our fifth nomination. We've been playing heavy metal for 35 years. That's what I mean with the bad luck cousin. That's exactly what I mean. That they, you know, they haven't necessarily been given the right wage at the right time this band that's just a feeling again i don't know the facts i'm not i'm not as informed with priest as i'm with maiden not at all 
but I always had that feeling that, you know, they had to fall down, rise up, and they had delayed recognition. And it just sort of shaped the whole band into something very interesting. And for me, entirely different to Maiden, Sabbath, or Metallica, you know, it's an entirely different story. And, and you can hear it a little bit here, yeah. Even though he's quite formal and, and clean, you know, it was uh, well done. All right, guys. I knew we would have an awesome episode. For the listeners, you can also hear me on Jonathan's show, Maiden A to Z. And I made a guest appearance on two very recent episodes, talked yep. about the songs Isle of Avalon and Journeyman. And those episodes were so much fun and we had such a great discussion. I was so excited to get home and record again because I knew we were going to have an awesome chat on this very epic song. All right. Yeah. Uh, closing question to wrap it up. How high does Dissident Aggressor rank for you? Is it a top 20 priest song? Is it a top 10 priest song? How top high? Five. Top five. Top. I, I, I think I'm inclined to agree. It's probably a top five for me. But then again, when I put together the top five, I'm going to fucking struggle. I prefer to keep it less than specific. I prefer to keep my top fives like kind of like a rough outline, kind of vague. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm getting less and less into rating stuff. We do keep our list on our show. That's mostly for fun, but I'm getting less and less into that. I'm getting more into hearing the more elongated uh, review uh, in words yeah. you know in words and in stories rather than just number so numbers yeah. are kind of yeah. arbitrary but yeah i would say still like uh, at least the how i feel top five yeah yeah but then numbers you know, are singer, arbitrary but you know when one song in particular happens to be one of the best and yeah. this is at least a top tenor for me as well i mean come on there are not many songs that i think are better than this one in the priest canon for so many reasons that we talked about distant aggressor it fucking rules end of story you just listen to us talk i like it even more now i like it even more because of you guys and because of the discussion it made it even bigger but uh, before we log off i have to give a shout out to the entire album i love last rose of summer i think there's an incredibly nice song no metal in there at all but it's just well done and you know they can do that too sinner i've mentioned time and time again amazing song starbreaker is a uh, that's a hit that's a banger uh, yeah. you have uh, listen to the priest is cool too like this album is really something else i think it could have been a a classic on the level of the number of the bees to me but uh, you know yeah it didn't and, turn out that way and i can't I, wait to I talk about raw this. deal too yeah i cannot yep. stress this enough to the listeners that if you haven't checked out sin after sin get on it like my favorite check- priest album yeah, go check out Sin After Sin and listen to it in its entirety and then come hit us up on Twitter or via email and we'll have a conversation about it. That's or great. buy it and then sell it because you don't like it and then rebuy it <laughs> a decade later and, and, and have it become one of your favorite albums uh, of, of the entire history of music. Yeah, yeah, you can do that or too. That. You'll love it, it eventually. We promise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll no, make, but, uh, I, will, yeah I will make you love it. Yep, there we go. Uh, I was going to say thanks for having me, especially on this song. And uh, I'm I'm down for whatever whatever topic when it comes to priest, mm-hmm. but I'm not informed when it comes to past painkiller. I don't know shit, basically. Yeah. It's well, only it, up was until a, then. it was a genuine pleasure having you on the show, Jonathan. It's, it's also a lot of fun to do something that is not Iron Maiden, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I get more surprised. Like, I am Berlin. 
I didn't know that. I thought it was uh, I believe, you know. We'll have to do a black metal podcast in the future. And that will have to happen. We'll do a side episode or something. I've already yeah, talked about that exactly. for Made in A to Z. Actually, we're going to do some side topic episodes that are really veer off, but they're within the, the, the listener base and they're within the, the co-hosts. Take. Perfect. One of, one of well, them is dissection. Would... So dissection, you have to be on. Oh, dude, absolutely. I would love to. Like, I'm there whenever you need it. Eric likes them too. So that could be the entire panel for that. Oh, sweet. Perfect. There you go. Right. Yeah. You got to set go. that up and I'll definitely listen. That's going to be good. All yeah. Right. I mean, you, even if you don't like the music, sometimes discussions surrounding it can be enriching. I yeah. Guess. And, I, and I've sure. said this before. I do not dislike Iron Maiden by any stretch of the imagination. I never saw it as such either. You know, it doesn't uh, provoke me whatsoever. You know, it's like, um, I know I got into them at 12. You know, I don't know what I w- would have done if I didn't. So uh, mm. that's kind of the fatalist story, you know, that uh, you have this. I don't believe in fate, but I believe that, you, you you know, you can't really change how it happened. It goes back to something I said before. And for me, Maiden is like that. Just, you know, it was installed early on. Yeah. You can't remove it. Whereas Priest came in and had to prove themselves later. And they did. Late bloomer, as we say. Yeah, in the Priest community, for sure. Yeah. It was fun, guys. It was fun. Keep oh, tell us what hey. you're drinking. Uh, Prips Blow. I'm drinking Prips Blow, Gothenburg and beer. I was going to buy some fancy beer because um, you guys are into that stuff, but um, didn't get around to it. All beer is valid on this show. Don't let anyone Have tell you otherwise. Have another drink or two. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm into, uh, actually, I'm quite into like uh, bland lager, but I also like the triple IPAs, uh, uh, some stouts as well. And, and but, but there's Not other guys in my, in my group. I like that. Other guys in my group that, you know, handle that sort of stuff. I handle more of the vinyl part of it. They, yeah. bring, they bring the beer and, you know, some of them are lawyers. So they can afford those ah, yeah, they, can, they can afford it <laughs> some of those right, triple so, ipas are expensive man really shit. you can find us on twitter at metal gods pod and you can hit us up on email metal gods podcast at gmail.com and jonathan where can they find you made an easy pod on twitter made an easy pod on instagram uh, made an a to c friends of the beast on facebook and then uh, if you really want to find me i guess you could shouldn't be that hard <laughs> and make sure to check out the other podcasts on the deep dive podcast network if you haven't yet metal gods podcast listener you should stay locked in and keep defending the faith I'll I'll change around the order, but I gotta say, 